I was like, we're, we're missing out on some traffic here. Maybe we should post it as a link. So I like kind of sat on that for like a couple minutes. A couple minutes? Yeah. But you say that like it's a long, I mean, that strikes me as a really Very short long. amount of well, time. Well, like we're obsessive, like refreshing the page. I want to see what kind of engagement. So, even, so within a couple minutes, you can tell on Facebook. Yeah. It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Avergan. This week, two people who have had their finger on two of the biggest social media accounts there are, BuzzFeed and the NBA. They'll talk about how real-time data and analytics help them make things go viral online. We'll also get the story of how that dress became BuzzFeed's biggest post ever. But first, before we talk about new media metrics... A quick story of a more old-school communication problem. It's a number that caught our eye this week, the significant digit. What? Can I tell you a number? Sure. All right. What? What's your dog's name? Oh, this is Thor. Thor? Yeah. This is radio, but pe- so people can't see that this is the smallest dog I've ever seen. <laughs> well, I'm his walker. Oh, so... Okay, gotcha. His owner's a little Napoleonic, you know? (laughs) I would say so. Um, Anyway, so the number is uh, 33,000. There was recently a reply-all thread at Thomson Reuters, which involved 33,000 inboxes because someone forgot to BCC, and so they emailed, and then people were responding saying, please remove me from this list. That's unbelievable. I just would have tossed my laptop out the window for that 33,000 inboxes. I don't look at my mailbox enough to even accept anything like that. So, Do you like email? I do like email, but I've become a text man. I just think text is just much more direct and instant gratification. So I don't know if throwing your laptop out the window is the right response, but... Uh, it does bring up a question of what is the good response and, and why does something like this go so wrong? So we have someone uh, who can maybe help answer that, who thinks about this kind of stuff. Uh, Paul Schreiber is a software engineer here at 538. Paul, let's just start with why do these massive reply-all chains happen in the first place? Jody, I think there are two reasons why they happen, and the reasons are people and systems. Uh, the people part is we use computers all the time. Right. We have these big complex machines in front of us. And a lot of the time we don't really understand how they work or why they do the things they do. We don't have a great mental model for how email works or how mailing lists work. So someone will go and reply to this message. And, and instead of stopping and saying, hey, if I reply, this is going to make the problem worse. You know, people just go and send a note. And they might think they're only sending it to the one person who sent the original message instead of sending it to all, everyone at the company or everyone on the list. But my response to that is that, to some extent, the technology should account for that. Like, it's a human instinct that's totally understandable to, to sort of say, look, stop this. I don't want to be a part of this. Please remove me from this. And there's got to be a technological answer that, that stops, that anticipates that and oh. stops. Oh, absolutely. And that's the second part, the systems part. And when you're setting up a mailing list, you know, usually you say, hey, is this a discussion list or is this a distribution list? And discussion lists, they let everyone participate. And distribution lists you know, are only intended for one or a limited number of senders, which is what should have been the case here, and it sounds like that wasn't the case. Like if, when Meaning you, only certain people would have the privilege to respond? To, to post to the list. So when you get email from you know, WNYC or Barack Obama, you can't just reply. And if you do, it's not going to go to all 
how many million people are on the list. And that's what should have happened here, but it didn't. Is there a technological intervention that could have happened? I mean, could an engineer at Thomson Reuters jumped in and stop this, or is it really just about letting it run its course? No, certainly their systems administration team could have jumped in and made a change to the list configuration. So messages that were probably already queued up would go out, but it would stop further messages from going to everyone. Paul Schreiber, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Jody. Thanks for having me. So here we have two people who have had their hands on two pretty big social accounts to talk about uh, data and metrics and social media. So uh, Samir Mizrahi of uh, BuzzFeed or at BuzzFeed, welcome to 538. And uh, Amako Bazi, you were at at NBA, but now you're here uh, at at ESPN and Grantland and um, the ESPYs doing social media. But welcome to 538. Thank you. So, uh, Samir, I was wondering if we could actually start with the dress and tell the story of that as a sort of example of uh, how this, this, this world works and how you use metrics. So... I doubt there's anyone out there who doesn't know the story of the dress. But just to quickly recap, I think it was last February, BuzzFeed posted an image of a dress that was clearly black and blue. I mean, there's no disputing that it was it was a black and blue dress, but some weird people saw it as white and gold. <laughs> I mean, I was on team black and blue okay. from the beginning. So. I think I saw a hint of white and gold there. <laughs> so, yes, I am joking. Of course, the, the whole point of this was that some people saw it as black and mm-hmm. blue. Some people saw it as white and gold. And we don't have to relitigate what color the dress was or, you know, talk about why mm-hmm. people saw different colors. But I'm more interested in the sort of process of getting it to go viral. So do you want to just talk about how that happened? Yeah. So this was like a Thursday late afternoon um, overheard people in the office talking about this post and like kind of like a heated argument. So like naturally I'm like, okay, like there's some controversy. So let's tweet it out. So I tweeted it out from Buzzfeed and like we look at live analytics a lot just to see how tweets do and what kind of response they're getting as well as the retweets. And this was like off the charts, like people were clicking through to look at it and they're retweeting it and they were talking about it. So it's like, whoa. But how quickly do you get that feedback? Instantly. I mean, Twitter, it, like depending on the type of news or what it is, like either people will be like really click heavy and they'll go to it. Or there's some news that gets a lot of retweets, but not a lot of clicks like LGBT news. People want to spread it. They want to share it. They don't necessarily click to, to read the details, but they want to talk. They want to they want to retweet what, what's going on there. But this had both and it was a huge surge. And you just have been there long enough and your account is big enough that you can tell pretty quickly okay, this is sort of just going to simmer or this is taking off. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty continuous and like celebrities can retweet our account and it doesn't get this kind of engagement. So, I mean, Twitter is a great place to to try to test new content to see how it goes. So naturally, the next place was to put it on Facebook. And I read a post on BuzzFeed sort of talking about this process where you mentioned that you posted it on Facebook a few different times in a few different ways. Yeah, so, I mean, I wanted... We were try- we tried to do what's best for like the social network, and I wanted to post it to Facebook as a photo because I also wasn't sure like like I knew there was something up with the dress like <laughs> was, like was it contrast on your screen or like do do people's eyes have some kind of problem so I wasn't sure like what kind of experience you needed to get the effect like to talk about it so I posted it as as like a full photo 
And so, like, there was engagement. People were talking about it. But, like, that surge from Twitter, like, some, like, I was like, we're, we're missing out on some traffic here. Um, so m- maybe we can, maybe we should post it as a link. And, like, maybe it'll work for both. So I, like, kind of sat on that for, like, a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, uh, you five say minutes. That, you, but you say that, like, it's a long, I mean, that strikes me as a really short long. amount of well, time. Well, like, we're obsessive, like, re, like, retweeting, like, refreshing the page. I want to see what kind of engagement this so is. So within a couple minutes, you can tell on Facebook. Yeah. And you know. So if you post something and it's not taking off on Facebook and you decide to post it in a different way, do you take the first one down? I think I left it up because I didn't want to lose the or the engagement that was already there. So I I posted it as a link, and I kind of waited for that, and I refreshed it. And it wasn't getting a lot of a lot of love, so I removed that one, and then I kept the other one. But I'm like, gosh, like the Twitter traffic was still like huge traffic. You'd gotten like a taste, I'm, yeah. And I'm <laughs> like, this is like going to be a big thing, and like we're not getting it from the way I posted. So I'm like, let me just try it one more time. And I did it, and it like took off from there, and that that was like the big, that was a big. But this all ca- sorry, the biggest traffic ever. Yeah, yeah, by far, like over double or triple like our like live on site traffic that we've ever had. And so, and all of this is happening on the in a window of like fifteen minutes. Yeah. you're just like tweaking, posting, gauging, pulling it down, posting it again. So you mentioned something A B testing. Uh, Amaka, is this so? That's kind of what we're talking about here that's that's the basic approach is you try it one way you try it another way and then you're measuring them against each other yeah i think you just have to find what works for what platform um every platform is different the copy or content you post on twitter might perform well on twitter but might not perform as well on facebook and we we've been mentioning those too but obviously like you guys (laughs) there's i mean there's probably stuff i haven't even heard of i mean there's instagram and snapchat and Vine. Tumblr, does, does Tumblr even a thing anymore? You Tumblr's a thing. No, Tumblr's yeah, huge. And Vine, yeah. Vine and so all this interest. stuff. And you kind of have to know that world for mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. The reason why Facebook and Twitter dominate this conversation is from a brand and a media standpoint, those are probably the two top tier accounts that you use to push out your content. So I think as, you know, a social media manager, it's the responsibility is on you to kind of take a step back and monitor how the post is performing on each asset and, you know, make changes as you see fit to get that content out on everyone's radars. But when you say something performs well on Twitter and then it may not perform well on Facebook, is that about the content itself or about the framing? It's just about the framing. There's so many different, you know, things when it comes to Twitter versus Facebook. You have Facebook's algorithm. You have the amount of people that absorb content within certain windows on Facebook versus Twitter. Twitter is more of a 24-hour platform. Facebook has, you know, peak times, usually the morning, later on in the evening. So it's kind of just determining, you know, that's where you use metrics to take a step back and say, our peak time for posting for Facebook is between two to four. So maybe we should post this at two versus posting it right away on Twitter because we does, know that our engagement's good. Does that check out with BuzzFeed's metrics? I mean, our peak times are in the evening, probably like 5 o'clock, and then it dips a little. I think people are going home and then back like 9 or 10 o'clock. But if we do have content that's evergreen, that's not timely, we'll save it for prime time is what we call it. So this gets right to the heart of one of the questions I have about this practice which is you know how much are you 
trying to reach an audience and how much are you trying to, I guess, game an algorithm? So when you put a hashtag on something, are you thinking, okay, this is about the people who are going to see this or this is about the machine behind Facebook? I'm always thinking about the people. I think that, you know, everything else is just additional to uh, gain additional eyes on our content that normal people wouldn't see. But my primary focus when crafting copy or posting to Facebook is twi- or Twitter is always our demographic. Yeah, I mean, I think you can game content by doing like clickbait headlines and hiding like what the thing is in the thumbnail. And like you might do that for clicks or whatever, but that's not necessarily like how you want to grow and how you want to be. So, I mean, we're, we try to I mean, our content is for the people who are going to consume it. You can't trick them into sharing it or engaging with it. But we are living in a time where Facebook in particular has this huge effect on on traffic. Mm -hmm. We've seen sort of sites come out of nowhere and become like the biggest sites on the Internet Mm -hmm. because basically because they figured out Facebook. And then conversely, we see Facebook like change its algorithm. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, like someone's traffic is cut in half or something. So – I mean, that has to be part of your, your thinking. Oh, I mean, we think about that every day. Yeah, <laughs> Facebook I, is a big source of traffic, so it's definitely important. We definitely think about it. There are Facebook changes that you're like, is it us? Did something? Did they change something? Can we fix it? And there are Facebook changes that are like global things. You can't do anything about it. It's like this is the way it is. But does that feel like you're then beholden to kind of the whims of a third party? Um. Uh, to an extent, but you want to win those people into regular BuzzFeed.com users or like in our instance, BuzzFeed.com users and app users. And like so and you do that by doing things good on those platforms that that I mean are within the platform or whatever, but by by bringing good content to people. How do you feel about the difference between writing something for a platform that is describing something that exists on your site versus writing something on that platform itself. I mean, we're really like, that's a big like push at BuzzFeed now is distributed thinking first, making things that can live on a platform by themselves without driving people back to the site. So, I mean, it's a big initiative at BuzzFeed now to, to try to do these kinds of things. So we're really excited to try to tell stories within the platform. And how much do you worry about giving over control to a platform that you don't ultimately own? Um, not, I mean, I'm not worried about it. There's so many of them out there. So we're, and we're a very experimental company. So we're, we're into trying all these places and seeing what sticks and what doesn't stick. But if you have an audience that, that sort of finds you because of something you did on Facebook that goes viral or gets a big audience, I'm assuming at some at some level you want that to be your audience as opposed to like the audience you're borrowing from Facebook for an hour of their attention. Do you genuinely feel like you're building your own audience in those yeah, situations? For sure. I mean with like video, we a video goes viral or like we have this guy, Matt Bellisai, who does a weekly show called Wine About It and he posts the video to Facebook and they do over a million views of video um, and you know one of them gets shared – and we and someone's like, oh, I love this. Let me go back and see more of his videos. I want to see more about this guy. And that might, you know, they might go over to YouTube and be like, wow, I like BuzzFeed videos. Let me go see what else they have. So, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, like getting people to come back to being subscribers, like doing what's good 
within a network, getting people to share, and then we want them to be BuzzFeed. Right, but users. you trust that that's going to happen because I mean, I'm I'm thinking Facebook probably doesn't care if they go back to BuzzFeed, right? Facebook wants to just keep them on Facebook. Yeah, um, I think Facebook wants good content. So, I mean, as much as we can provide, it, it's a big platform. So you yeah. want you want to do good stuff there. But I imagine, I guess, the it might be a little different for a place like the NBA where you were because. With a BuzzFeed, it's like there's always an end sort of thing on your site that you want people to come back to. But the product for NBA, I guess, is a little different, which is like, I guess, watching the game. I and mean, it was always about getting people to go watch the game. I think the priority there was more so just leveraging our access and just showing fans the behind the scenes of what is the NBA. We wanted to give that third window to, hey, this is LeBron James before LeBron James steps on the court. So we didn't really have goals to drive back to anywhere because there will there isn't really anywhere to okay, drive yeah. back to. Right. And we weren't necessarily concerned with engagements or shares because quite frankly with NBA content it's always going to engage someone. But then how do you actually measure that? It's hard because you know I think it depends on what type of outlet you are for the NBA. Versus Grant versus like where I am now with Grantland. Grantland is you know we're measuring it based on hits back to Grantland.com. You can watch the traffic exactly. that's coming from a particular tweet. Exactly. You can right. use we use Omniture, we use Shareably, we use CrowdTangle to figure out all of the metrics around all of our posts, where they're being shared, where they're being driven back to. I've never heard of any of those, but I trust <laughs> that you're doing it and doing it well. Uh, where they're dri driving to. But with the NBA, it's more so one-off content because you don't necessarily need to monetize. You don't need to monetize it. It's just there. It's for the fans. But does that ever get frustrating that you're like, you make a good tweet and you're like, well, I think this is like enhancing the experience but i kind of want to know like the impact <laughs> um i mean with twitter analytics and with facebook insights you can kind of gauge like how many people saw it how many people interacted with it but we wouldn't necessarily tailor our content plan or strategy based on those numbers So like most people, when they're trying to gauge a, how a tweet of theirs is doing, they like tab over to the mentions tab and, and, and see how that's doing. I mean, what are you guys, is there like some secret, super secret Twitter dashboard that no one knows about when you have millions and millions of followers? I don't know if it's secret, but I do know that there is a Twitter analytics dashboard that anyone could access. Um, and that gives you general impression, engagement, click-throughs. Um, all of those type of metrics. If you want to take it a step further, there are social media tools we use shareably here that give you tremendous insight on every post that you post on every asset. Like what? I mean, you mentioned clicks, clicks and shares and yeah. reach. So from the native, with the native Twitter dashboard, you can get those type of things. But from shareably, you can get actions per tweet. You can get uh, average engagement per tweet. You can get average like per media for Instagram. You can get average page like for Facebook. The list goes on and on. There's definitely a social media metrics encyclopedia of data. <laughs> and TweetDeck is like my favorite thing. Like we have TweetDeck. Most people at BuzzFeed have it open like almost all day. I say it's like kind of like a stock, like the stock market of Twitter. Right. I'm watching tweets and your stream and 
like I have the BuzzFeed uh, mentions in a tab and just kind of seeing how that how that like river but how do you even keep up with that i mean you know i feel like i can keep up with my (laughs) mentions right but (laughs) i don't know the brain at the end of the day the brain so you really aren't there isn't some other filtering that you're using you're just watching it fly i mean i'm not watching it all day but you can get the pulse of how things are doing like generally um if things are going faster or slower i mean this is day to day Uh, if things are going faster or slower um, you get, you might want to start to dig in, like, why is this tweet going crazy? Oh, Taylor Swift retweeted us. Or if it's slower, like, you might go over to Google Analytics and be like, oh, a lot of people are clicking tweets, like, kind of a slow day, like, not much news is happening. So you kind of get a hint of something from one tool, and then you go to the other tool to kind of do, like, a you little did. CSI yeah, of figuring yeah, yeah. out what happened. I mean, is there a specific example of that that you can mention? Like, I mean, you mentioned the Taylor Swift tweeting so how long does it take you to 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 go back and find the the patient zero of how it went viral well for twitter for that it's like all of a sudden a tweet goes insane you're like whoa who retweeted this and the first instinct is to see like that go to that person's account something we do is just go to the tweet you know the the tweet url and someone will usually reply to the person with the very big account if you don't know exactly where it came from right so what i mean what metric do you feel like is the most important does it is it different for each i love something that shares high and has a lot of clicks (laughs) that's all of the metrics that's not i mean choosing one (laughs) the specific thing like if if a lot of people well if it's a post and a lot of people click through and shared it right then that's like a home run you know they they saw something that was interesting they liked it and then they shared it right so 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 one without the other isn't as as good so something can get shared a no, bunch I, but it's I, not I, I still love i mean right. I, if something gets a lot of clicks and not a lot of shares then it was a dud right chances are it was a dud and like i actually don't i mean that's not preferable like we didn't deliver on why you clicked probably i mean news has a different metric like people like to consume news and they don't necessarily want to share it it's right but for before the stuff that's kind of more for the social web mm-hmm. you want someone to click you want to sort of entice them to click through yeah. but then give them something that then they will want to then go actively share themselves yeah, if we say like 20 things that all short girls understand and you're like i'm a short girl and you click it and it didn't relate to you and you don't want to share it then that like we obviously didn't deliver on the premise and it wasn't worth and it was a bad post i think for us with grantland strictly referrals um engagements on twitter are always good you always want to see clicks shares but for us we're driving back to the site we want to make sure people are reading the content absorbing it in its long form version versus social you know at nba i I, when thinking about that, I mean, it is not a news site. It has this sort of fact that the players who are part of the NBA are also using it. So I'm just curious how you think about social media or how you thought about social media when you were at the NBA in terms of the fact that, like, there was also this whole world of conversation happening on Twitter with your players who are part of the league. But, like, What's it like when I don't know, like when Matt Barnes gets ejected from a game and goes into the locker room and like starts going off on his teammates on Twitter? Oh Lord! I think that you know, thinking back to my time there, one day that comes to memory was the Donald Sterling. Incident. I'm sure that was a pretty intense day. Um, yeah. So 
Another tool that, you know, the NBA uses is Nielsen Social. Um, That pretty much allows you to gauge not only the TV conversation, but kind of sync it with the social conversation. So through that, you're able to determine. So Donald Sterling was being talked about at 7 p.m., and conversation about him spiked at 12 and then, you know, kind of decreased at one. That's a great tool to measure the conversational aspect of the NBA. But from an engagement standpoint, strictly on the platform, we weren't really worried about that. We were worried about owning the conversation about the things that we could control. Everybody's going to talk about Matt Barnes getting ejected. Everybody's going to talk about Donald Sterling doing what he's doing. But we wanted to make sure that despite all of that, we're getting out the genuine content about the game. So Matt Barnes got ejected, but Chris Paul had a triple-double. That's <laughs> but Matt <more>. Barnes <laughs> tweeted from the locker room yeah. about uh, his teammates. Yeah, that's that's something that we we just we <laughs> kind of just avoid it, you know, just ignore it and just people are always going to find something to talk about. But again, own the conversation and set what you want to be set. Right. It's like the <laughs> don't read the comments thing when you're a writer on the Better internet. You're just like sometimes just ignore your re- yeah, ignore yeah. your your mentions. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Just stay off Twitter for a little while. Samir Mizrahi of of BuzzFeed, but also what's what's your real Twitter handle? Samir. At Samir. At Samir. All right. And Amako Baze at? Amachiavelli. Amachiavelli. Yes. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Neither of us are that clever. Uh, Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Right now, follow them at Samir and at Amachiavelli, A-M-A-K-I-A-V-E-L-L-I. While you're at it, I'm at Jody Avergan on Twitter. What's the Point's editor is Chadwick Matlin. Our video producer is Ryan Nantel with help from Jordan Shulkin. We do post videos of these conversations on the 538 Facebook page each week, so help make them go viral, okay? Joel Werner helped mix and produce this episode. My name is Jody Avergan. You can email me at podcasts at 538.com. Please don't CC 33,000 people. Our music is by Rishikesh Hirway, who also hosts the excellent Song Exploder podcast. Check it out on iTunes. And of course, while you're there, look up What's the Point and give us a rating and a review. It really helps others discover the show. Thanks for listening. See you soon.